Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Universities feed a lot of people, but unfortunately these days, too much of that food is served with disposable containers and cutlery. But thankfully, there are many amazing organizers around the country working on this issue. And today we get to talk to some of the leaders changing college dining so reuse becomes the norm again. Joining me today for this is Alex Freed, founder and director of Atlas Zero Waste Strategy at Post Landfill Action Network, and two student leaders from Atlas's fellowship program. Emily Johnson from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and Kyle Wedge at the University of New Hampshire. For the last 10 years, PLAN has been working with colleges and universities around the U.S. to help student organizers develop waste reduction programs on their campuses. They run the annual Students for Zero Waste Conference, amongst many other reuse and zero waste themed programs and campaigns. And one of their core programs that we'll be focusing on today is the Atlas Zero Waste Project. So without further introduction, I will let these um, amazing humans start telling us the story of this program. And if you wouldn't mind each introducing yourselves and telling us where you're calling in from. And of course, thank you guys so much for joining today. Yeah, great. Um, so my name is Alex Freed. Uh, thanks for having us. Um, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm the director of the Atlas Zero Waste Program. i um, calling in from New Hampshire, Dover, New Hampshire. Thank you for having us. My name's Kai Lay, and I am an Atlas Fellow. I'm calling in from the University of New Hampshire, which is located in Durham, New Hampshire. Hi, everyone. My name is Emily. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, they. And I am calling from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which, as you can hear by the title of the university, I am in Madison, Wisconsin. Awesome. Uh, it's nice to have two folks from New Hampshire on the call. That's where I went to college myself, so I have fond memories of that part of the country, especially this time of year. So, Alex, let's start with a little bit of background about PLAN's trial and error learning process, as you've described it to me, on how to achieve zero waste on campuses and how this process led you to the way you guys are working with the Atlas Zero Waste Project. Yeah, um, so we are a 10-year-old nonprofit organization. Um, in the last 10 years, we have worked with over 1,000 colleges and universities in the United States and Canada and tens of thousands of students. Um, our focus is supporting student leadership on college campuses. So um, we work on you know, the logistics and the infrastructure. We help students run programs and campaigns. Um, we also do a lot of student leadership development and our primary goal is to um, support student leaders on their campuses with uh, sort of whatever they wanna work on, whether it's you know things as sort of programmatic as a move out program or a, running a thrift store or free store on campus or um, running a campaign to uh, ban single use disposal plastics on campus um, or as sort of systematic as um, mapping out like a 10 year strategy to achieve zero waste and sort of working with administration, working with the sustainability office and getting involved in sort of the strategic planning side of the work. So the project that I'm the director of, the Atlas project, is a fellowship program for students and it's run in three stages. As you mentioned, we started this in 2017 and it has been very sort of trial and error. Um, 
we sort of see the Atlas project as a living experiment. It's a, you know, a process of building on itself, of learning about the challenges that campuses face in working towards and achieving zero waste and involving students in every step of that, training them on how to um, perform assessments of uh, the campus's capacity to achieve zero waste and working working with those students through the process of negotiation or facilitation and like how those students can be involved in strategic visioning and planning processes. So to briefly summarize, um, the fellowship program is three stages. In the first stage, we've developed a holistic assessment tool and that also has now been turned into a certification tool. So um, six years later, we've worked with over 50 college campuses where we've performed this assessment and provided campuses with a scorecard that qualifies them for certification of like a sort of a bronze, silver, gold, platinum level towards certification. At this point, um, we've conducted assessments of a wide variety of campuses and uh, the bar is pretty high. We, um, we've had less than 10 of those campuses actually qualify for bronze level certification. Only one is silver certified and we sort of know campuses are pretty far away from achieving gold and platinum level certification. Um, the second stage is we help campuses uh, develop a strategic vision to achieve zero waste. And so fellows are trained on how to uh, facilitate conversations among stakeholders and create a vision for what it would take to achieve zero waste. And then in the third stage, fellows are um, trained on how to take that vision and put it into an action plan, how to build a proposal, how to calculate the return on the investment, the ROI, um, and how to you know, present to the administration what it would take for the campus to actually achieve zero waste at scale. Uh, so Kyle and Emily, who are here, are both stage three fellows, um, and they've been working on this project for more than a year on how to map out an action plan for the campus to achieve zero waste. Awesome. And I know that, as you said, there's there's so much learning that's happened over the years as part of the process to get you guys toward this model for trying to create change. And I know we'll unpack that a little bit more as we go. Um, but for now, I'd love to introduce our, our student leaders and have you guys each share with us a little bit about the proposals that you're working on and the challenges that you've helped address already in the process. As Alex mentioned, there's a lot of learning through hitting barriers in this kind of process when you're trying to create systemic change. So I'd love to hear you each talk about the case study of your own school. Yeah, um, so UW-Madison is a very interesting school um, because we have um, two different departments for dining um, at UW-Madison. So one of those is specifically uh, dining hall. So that's university housing. So that's going to include all of the people that live in our housing. Um, and we also have the Wisconsin unions. Those are open to everybody. Um, there's various different customers that go to that service. Um, obviously, a lot of them are students, uh, but when a lot of visitors, they usually go to the Wisconsin Union to like eat or something like that. Um, so the challenge, one of those challenges is because they're two different departments, they don't communicate well, sometimes um, they're operated very differently. They offer different kinds of products. 
Obviously, one, we know specifically who is that audience. Obviously, housing, we know everybody there will like 99% of the time be housing residents besides the occasional like person touring the facility or like staff, faculty, visitors on campus who want to look at the dining experience. Um, We also, but for the unions, uh, those are going to be a little bit more difficult because those could be anybody. Um, Even if like 75% of those customers are going to be students, we don't know specifically who that's going to be. So the struggle is that communication barrier. Um, We do have a reusable to-go program at our housing facilities right now. Um, We use the Aussie container system um, where a student is each given a token when they uh, get into the dorms. And when a student enters a dining hall, they give them the token if they want to use the reusable program. So then they're given um, a container, which is like, I think like nine by 11 or something like that. Then they go through the dining hall, put in all the food in there. And then once they're done, they scan the container using the big Aussie machine and then they get a token back. Um, Obviously, there are some challenges with the system. It's been fairly efficient so far and it's been really great. Um, the thing is, is that we don't have a digital option. It's just a uh, token system. So it's not as uh, clean when doing the transaction. Tokens get lost. People trade tokens. Um, so it's kind of not the best system. And a lot of people, when they do return their containers, they're usually very dirty. Um, people oftentimes don't clean them out. Um, they'll put like a whole like week worth of spaghetti in the container that is very moldy and it's not obviously great for any of the kitchen staff and it's all washed at those dining halls that have those so we have very limited capacity on that part Um, one big thing that's been a struggle is we don't have a lot of space on campus Um, it's really hard to find locations on campus Um, We're kind of a lot of departments are competitive with each other on finding those kinds of spaces. Um, So if we do implement a reusable program, it's going to have to be an off campus facility. Um, It can't be like in a building on campus. As for the unions, everything is single use. All those single use items are compostable. Um, So that's one good thing. However, we do not have an industrial composter. So therefore, the single-use items act just like regular single-use wear. Um, We had a compostable program before, um, but due to the company that we partnered with changing to only manure product, uh, we were unable to uh, have that service anymore. We do have a compost program now, but it's all back of house and it can only be food items. Uh, the, we only have run rows at our um, composting facility. So therefore they can't accept our compostable single use products. So those are some of like the main points. Yeah. And just, I love that you guys are learning through, you're trying to create the circularity and you're finding all the different places where that can can create challenges along the way. And it's it's 
clearly you're learning a lot about larger reuse issues that I talk about with guests on the show all the time, just through the the case study of your your school. So let's hear from Kyle, and then we'll have Alex chime in with you know any larger context pieces because I know that you see some patterns that are operating across all the schools you work with. But Kyle, tell us about what's going on in New Hampshire. Yeah, so we technically have three dining halls on campus, but one of them has not been open since COVID started. So primarily we just have Holloway Commons and then Philbrook Dining Hall. And those are our only locations on campus that use our to-go program. So essentially we're obviously looking to branch that out to all of our other retail dining locations. I believe we have around 11 other ones. Um, But yeah, right now it's way more lax than Emily's school. We kind of don't have an accountability system at all for returning um, the containers. So when a student wants to get one, they're $3.25, I believe, for the first time. Um, And then grab a to-go box. When you want to return it, you exchange it and you get a green little wristband. And then when you want to get a to-go box again, you just exchange it back. I personally have had an empty to-go box in my room for about four days. So I have to get on that and return it. But I know that's a case for a lot of other students because like I said, no accountability. So we're hoping to expand and make it more of a working system rather than just laddie dying it all the time. And when you say that it's um, lax, what do you mean exactly? As in a lot of students aren't bringing back their containers? Is that what you're referring to? Yes, there's a longer window of return rates, like if that makes sense. So like I said, I have had mine for about four days. I know some people that have theirs for like weeks at a time. Um, I try to return mine as often as possible and I end up forgetting. So there's no way to track um, like how many days you've had it for or how many people have containers out. Got it. Yeah. And those are challenges that businesses that are trying to do, you know, reusable coffee cups and things like that are are encountering some of the same challenges. And Alex, I'm sure you you can weigh in on the different versions of of that kind of challenge that you're seeing in the program and any other comments at this point. Yeah, thanks. So um, a couple, I guess, some some context points to the conversation that we're having right now. Typically, what we see with the majority of college campuses that have some degree of a reusable to go program is a type of program that Emily and Kylie are talking about. So it's either um, a program that tracks the return of the reusables via a token, some sort of a return machine where you exchange a token for a container or like a carabiner or a wristband or something like that. It's a it's a non-digital tracking of the reusable containers. Another challenge is it's almost always the same type of container. So if you can picture sort of like uh, what's often referred to as a clamshell container, um, it's a type of container that you might get for like takeout from, you know, like a Chinese food restaurant type of a location. 
Um, so it's a, it's a flat container, usually a square. Oftentimes it has like three compartments within that container. Um, and that's usually the only option. And so one of the big challenges that we see in the context of what does it take to switch? If, if the goal of this conversation is what does it take to eliminate all single use disposal plastics and switch to reusables in all locations? Um, there are a wide variety of different types of containers. So, you know, there's hot cups and cold cups, there's lids with those types of items. There's uh, bowls, um, bowls both for, you know, salad, but also for soup. And also again, lids for those items. There's utensils, um, there's maybe straws. And then there's also all of the other sort of sides, you know, the small sides, the condiments, the little, you know, um, uh, like saucers type of thing that you might put like ketchup or, or salad dressing in. Um, and so you, you wind up with literally dozens for some locations of different types, sizes, and styles of disposable to-go containers. And so most campuses have sort of the one universal square reusable to-go. Um, the other challenge is the sort of tracking of these returns. So, uh, most campuses right now that have a reusable to go container program are seeing a really, really low return rate. And so what that means is uh, there's a need for a high volume for circulation. So if we give away 100 containers on day one, we also have to give away 100 containers on day two and 100 containers on day three in order for us to wait till day four, five, six, seven for those containers to get returned. We can wash them and then reuse them again. So we don't need 100 containers, we need 500 or 1,000 containers on hand. And in addition to that, we lose a lot of them. So some campuses are reporting return rates of 30%. And so what that means is if they bought 1,000 containers in year one, in year two, they're buying 700 containers. And in year three, they're buying 700 containers. And so that's a high cost for these programs. So if we're trying to prove an ROI, um, it's very expensive to spend an upfront cost of new dishware and then next year spend another high cost of used dishware of reusable dishware um, and and so on and so forth to sort of add into that system. So Kyle and Emily have been working on doing sort of analysis of what are the disposables across campus in multiple different locations? How could we group those together to figure out what reusables we would replace those with? And then also what are the strategies to increase return rates? So the challenge is, you know, what are the logistics of a program that operates at universal campus-wide scale? And how do we make reusable to go as convenient as disposable to go? So what does it look like to establish a program where everything that you get from a coffee shop or a sandwich shop is reusable? And now what are the backend logistics of that? Like who are the people on campus who are in charge of collecting from those locations? How much did it cost to establish those locations, to put those bins in place? How much does it cost to pay those staff to collect from those locations? Uh, what's the logistics of transportation? Where are they being washed? How are they being washed, right? Um, how are they being redistributed back to those locations um, for reuse every single day? And um, mapping out the logistics of this program has been a sort of complicated mess for a variety of reasons. And the big question has been, is this financially feasible as we describe it? And that process for Emily and Kyle has been starting off with the question of what's the numbers that we're actually talking about? Like, what are we dealing with? So for, for Emily, like, 
you know, the numbers are astronomically shocking. It's a large campus. And for just retail dining, so we're not talking about the thousands of students who eat on reusables every day in the dining hall, but just the coffee shops and the to-go shops and the sandwich shops, like all of those locations on her on, on Emily's campus, there's about 30 of them. Um, of those locations, annually, how many disposables are we dealing with? For our calculations from what Emily put together, um, just the items we want to switch to reusables, so not the little sauce packets and things like that, the cups, the mugs, the bowls, the plates, the big pieces, we're talking about three and a half million disposables per year that we're trying to figure out how to switch over. So then we had to develop the calculation of how many is that per day? And if we were to buy reusables, how many reusables do we need on hand um, in circulation in order to completely eliminate three and a half million disposables? And then based on the number of reusables that we purchase, uh, what size dishwasher do we need? And how many hours will it take staff to wash those dishes? So what's the labor cost of the dishwashing and the collection? Mapping all of that out, right? Um, to make a really long story short, the return on the investment for Emily's program is within a year, which is fascinating. Wow. Just the cost of the savings, right? So that yeah. three and a half million disposables is $400,000 annually spent on those disposables. And so if we can eliminate $400,000 in annual expenses, how much does it cost to then install this program to pay for a $150,000 dishwasher, to hire staff, to buy the dishes, but then also to pay labor every single year? And what is it going to take to put this together? So we're at this phase right now where we're just finalizing the financials of all the research to be able to present to the administration what this program could look like if we were to implement it at scale. It's definitely worth saying that these proposals are tricky to figure out. Every system is different and it's so complex. And you're also trying to bet, trying to like battle with what society and institutions have. So this is a not an easy thing. And usually when you try to get these things implemented, the solution is not overwhelmingly like some, I guess I want to say positive, but it's not, some people might not think it as like accessible because it's like so such an easy to understand solution. Like it may cost way more money or like, yeah, you might be helping the environment, but you're not helping. Like it doesn't seem as necessary as obvious of a solution as one might think. But for UW-Madison, it's it's a little bit complicated, but not too bad. The system would require the housing department and the Wisconsin Union Department to collaborate on a universal to-go wear system um, where any sort of checkout of public dining, um, you have the first option would always be a reusable to-go wear, um, especially for Wisconsin Union. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the customers there want to leave and go because they're mostly students, so they don't want to sit down and eat. So a lot of it is to-go focused. Housing is really good right now because they don't have a lot of single-use wear, so this would just be improving their reusable to-go wear program. Um, this reusable wear is probably going to be from get serve wear. 
um, a company that has a lot of those products and there's a lot of variety of those products. Um, so we would switch from that from Aussie container system. And then this system would be used through QR codes or like the embedded QR code system where there's like a little chip in the QR code. So it's all unique and stuff. And students would hopefully we would integrate it in our WIS card system, which is like our student ID. So when students have when students want to go into the residence halls to eat, um, they have to swipe their WIS card. And that's like because we have a meal plan. So once you swipe, that's like one meal and then you can it's all you care to eat. So you can eat whatever you want. So hopefully that would be an option and then it would go on your the card system. If not, we'll just use what a lot of universities have, which is the the app that you have on your phone and then you scan it. And then once you finish eating, uh, you would return at one of the various different collection boxes on campus. Um, we hope to scatter them around campus and make them a lot cheaper. Aussie machines are very expensive. And you can only really put them, we only have six of them because we have six dining halls and they're all in the dining hall. So student would have to wait until the dining hall is open to use them. So then you would put them into the um, container. We'd have maybe like a few outside, a few inside. Um, and it kind of looked like a mailbox system. You just open it, um, you scan the QR code with your app, return it. And then a separate facility on campus that either be through a third party, which a lot of the people are leaning towards, um, or a facility that we build and own. And this would be our dishwashing facility. And they would have truckers come every day and pick up all the reusable to go where. And then they would drop it off at the facility, get it all washed. And then truckers would come. Um, also through requests by the dining halls. So like one of our dining halls, Gordon's might say, we need um, 516 ounce uh, soup containers today. So then the drivers would uh, make sure all of these products are sorted. Uh, we'd have probably crates that would say like Gordon dining hall, Liz's market dining hall. And then based on that request, they'd have people fill in, put them in there. And then they would get checked out to the dining halls and then the circular process would go again. And this would also be integrated at Wisconsin Union. But the thing is, is that the system would require you to only you have to have a WIS card or a WIS email. Um, so people who are not a student or an employee cannot use the system. Um, so we would have backup compostable wear. Neat. So you guys have really thought through all the supply chain logistics challenges, and it sounds like you've got a proposal for your optimal next experiment, if you will, that seems like it'll solve some of the problems that you've been encountering the first time around. Yes, definitely. It's been, I've been on this project, and Kylie too has been very deep in the reasonable to go wear. So that has been kind of like our work for the past like couple of months. So very knowledgeable about at least our universities. Awesome. Kyle, what's similar and different for the approach you guys are looking to take as your next steps? A lot of it is very similar. Um, at the moment, 
I don't believe we're looking to build a new central dishwashing location. Um, we're trying to figure out what the best route to take would be because we do have our dining hall, our third one that's not being used that still has um, the dishwashing machine, but the new use of the building is still pretty unknown. So we don't know if they're going to keep it or if we're going to have to get a new one. We also don't fully know at the moment how our existing dining halls would be able to manage all of the new dishes that we would purchase. So those are still some questions we're trying to figure out, but essentially it's the same. Like we just need to figure out the central, central dishwashing and management. We're thinking of uh, tracking apps as well um, since we don't have that at the moment. So we have talked with four different companies um, that have a QR code that we can stick on all of the containers, but also like the RFID chip as well, that when it gets passed through a dishwashing machine, it would automatically scan it so they know that it's returned. Yeah, we think that the RFID chip would be a really good investment, especially I was talking to some friends recently about how it would look for them to return the containers and it's kind of a lot I guess for some to scan it when you take it out and then you also have to scan it before you return it and if you have more than one item then you're scanning a bunch of things so if they can just toss it into a bin um, hopefully we'll place a bunch around campus so it's easy to return it but yeah hopefully they can just toss it in it goes through the machine the dishwashing machine scans it and they can check on an app to see like, maybe how many they have taken out or how long they've had it for, things like that. I really want to ask you guys uh, a sort of stepping back question that might feel hard to answer for years to come, actually, but as best you can right now. I'm really curious. It seems like one of the beautiful things about this program is that it gives you real hands-on learning opportunities about how to create change in systems, which is I don't know any classes that teach that very effectively. So I'd love to hear you guys reflect on so far where you're at in the process. What do you think some of the most powerful learning moments or insights have been for you in getting to do this work and try to solve all these puzzles? I think a really big lesson I've learned is that it's okay to learn as you go because that's just life. And so it definitely applies here too. Um, especially since a lot of campuses haven't, to our knowledge, done something to this magnitude. We are all learning. All of our stakeholders involved are also learning. Um, the conversations that we've had to have with a lot of people are filled with a lot of questions that we all sort of understand can't be answered to the fullest extent sometimes. But it's really interesting and inspiring to have talked with so many people that are so passionate about doing all of this work. And it makes me hopeful for a career in the future and everything like that. But like business meetings have been also like, it's been good to go through the steps of an actual business meeting and asking for quotes from companies for prices and 
trying to communicate our findings to those that might not be as fluent in the sustainability realm as much. How about you, Emily? Yeah, I agree with Kyle. Um, I would also add that something for me has been understanding that every person who is a part of the system has um, knowledge. And when you ignore their knowledge, um, the system won't work well. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that has been really interesting was, especially we have a lot of good um, uh, partnerships because we work under facilities planning and management. So obviously we um, know a lot of them, um, but we often talk with um, the people who work in um, the physical plant. So like the people who do energy, um, our campuses run on natural gas. Um, We have a lot of people who work in truck driving and people that do things that you might consider to be opposed to these kinds of transitions. And oftentimes they aren't, but that's because they've been neglected in like this, in this industry and these institutions for a long time might not think it, but a lot of times, like, especially for our facilities planning and management, they often get pushed out of like, getting extra people to work or getting extra funding when these, the services that they have are like needed in this um, operation. Like we need somebody to take out the trash every day because nobody just wants a pile of trash in their yard. And they oftentimes don't get the gratitude that they deserve because a lot of their work is not pretty work or it's um, stuff like that. And they might have pushback because they don't understand the service or they're like, it's going to cost us money because they only think about how much money they're going to need for that service because they're always put out of like getting those funds that they need because they're working on the most basic like minimum of staff, wages, services, trucks, etc. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded when I was in college, I did a similar sort of learning opportunity, but it was about local food, trying to get local food in the dining halls. And what you're both saying really resonates from the things that I really learned in that that were useful in my career later in terms of stakeholders and understanding everybody's interests. I remember, for example, the cooks couldn't make their recipes if the carrots weren't the right size. And if you have local carrots, the sizes aren't consistent. And that was like a detail that was solvable that we wouldn't have even known about if we hadn't actually talked to all those stakeholders like you guys are talking about. So it's um, it's beautiful to hear you guys reflect on these learnings. Alex, I know you have um, a lot more you might want to add in terms of, you know, insights, what you're seeing others learning in this process. Um, anything you want to reflect on that we haven't touched on so far? Yeah, and also just the volume. Like these programs are huge. They're complicated and fascinating. And when you get to them at scale, it requires so much more calculation. So it's, I think something that I've learned, you know, even from talking to like Cerise, right, is like um, most of the projects that Cerise has been working with through the um, chart chart reuse app has been like, if a restaurant switches to reusables or if, a, you know, it's like, it's like one location. So what does it look like if you have 30 locations sharing a dishwasher, you know, and mm-hmm. what are the logistics of 
the cost of labor, the cost of staffing, the cost of collection, the cost of the tracking app. So over the last couple of years, the issue has been uh, the low return rates of the reusables. We've been doing research and talking to these companies that are building in these tracking apps to be able to do QR code tracking or RFID chip tracking of the containers. Um, And the experiments that they've been working on with campuses have been with primarily the clamshell containers. Um, But the exciting part is that those programs have led to significant increases in return rates. So four of the companies we talked to in the last year have seen documented return rates of over 95% and much faster return rates. So if students are sort of on the hook to return the containers the same way that they're on the hook to return a library book, like it's on loan to them, the campus knows that they have it, and there is an incentive for them to return it, then there's sort of a system where like on their phone, they're getting push notifications that are telling them, don't forget to return your container, here's your closest return location. Like things like that um, have led to significant increases in the return rates. So that was one of the things that opened up the opportunity for this project to even be considered is no campus is gonna consider with a 30% return rate adding in bowls and cups and mugs and silverware. But if we can prove a 98% return rate, then we can actually consider switching everything to reusable. And so there's this sort of moment of opportunity here right now where campuses are starting to experiment with full-scale reusable switches that has not been a part of the conversation up until the last year or so. Mm. Yeah, and it's really, it's important pioneering work that you all are doing, not just for universities, but for any effort to do reuse at scale. And I think the challenges you guys are navigating are similar to the challenges that anybody trying to get, you know, reusable cup and container programs in a city is facing. And um, what you guys are learning is applicable, a lot of it, beyond universities as well. But Alex, for those who want to follow along and support what you all are doing, how I know a lot of our listeners are really interested in these nitty gritty details and these problem solving challenges. So what's the best way for people to keep tabs on how this is going and how they can support the work? Um, so this project is definitely a step by step. We're hoping to release some information publicly about it at the end of the or at the end of this sort of calendar year. So December, January, our website is postlandfill.org. P-O-S-T-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-L.org. And my email address is alex at postlandfill.org. Fantastic. And thank you three so much for taking time to speak with me today. And also, of course, for being in this work on the ground, trying to solve these challenges. As I just said a few minutes ago, the challenges you guys are working on are the same ones that CEOs of companies are working through. And so many of our listeners have versions of trying to work through some of these same challenges of bringing circularity into a system that's designed for linearity. So I know we are all very much rooting on this project and follow plan if you want to stay involved, if you're connected with universities or schools and have a way to try to push for or advocate for this kind of change please go for it. And uh, to all of our listeners and as well as our guests today, thank you all for your commitment to building a world without throwaway. And that's our show. 
If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode, as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.